Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter. I'm joined by Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. A typical episode of this show is we've watched a movie and we will sit and talk about it for a silly amount of time. But this is not a regular episode. This is once in a while we have an episode like this one where we do a countdown. Where we have assembled a top list of films in a particular category. Uh, in science fiction and in this case we are going to be doing our top 20 sci-fi movies of the 1970s and we've each made our own list so we'll be alternating picks tara will give her number 20 then i'll give my number 20 and so on and so on until we are done and that's uh that's what's going to happen that's what we're going to do um now originally we were going to do a top 25 but that changed when we actually went to make our lists and i said there should be a 20 <laughs> because the lo- the logic is is that if you're having to put things into your your list that you've said you're going to do just to make it up to the number then you should cut what the how big the list is because if you're not cutting things that are good then you've not made any hard choices and therefore the whole thing's a bit pointless so top 20 sci-fi movies in the 1970s uh and this is not necessarily the last time we'll do this uh we've done three 70 seasons we're lately going to do more, and maybe in a few years' time we'll come back and do this again once we've seen even more 70s sci-fi movies. Uh, many of these that we're going to talk about today, we have reviewed. Some we haven't, and we'll get to. We've just seen them, you know, in, in our lives at some point or another. Uh, but there's obviously some that, you know, maybe I've not seen, there's some that maybe Tara's not seen that we'll get to in the future, and these lists will change. But uh, enough yammering for me in this introduction. How difficult did you find this list, Tara? Actually, I found this list to be pretty easy. There was, uh, I had a little bit of struggle maybe on like the 20 through 15 because we watched a lot of 70s movies that were sort of staying in the sevens range. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there, so I had to like go back on memory like, well, what, what do I still remember? What did I, after like a year or two years, like, what do I still remember about the movie and what did I do I remember anything that I liked specifically from the film and then order it from there. But yeah, 20s probably appropriate. I I could have made a 25, but I wouldn't have been as passionate about it, I suppose. Yeah, well you find yourself sort of like, oh well, this is okay, I guess. I guess that's next on the I mean, it, it's still it would still be accurate. You're still putting the next thing that you think would be 21 or 22, but mm-hmm. uh if you're not feeling like much passion for them, you're you're kind of, you know, you're just kind of filling it. <laughs> you're just it's just filler. It's like, hey, I've seen twenty five movies of this category. Uh, well, then, oh, these are the best twenty five movies. So top twenty is well. What we'll maybe with. next time we do this, we'll have reason to add five more. I, I mean, if we can, if if, I, if we find enough good ones that uh, we feel passionate I about, I suspect we will. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, because this is the, the the funny thing is, I you know, as I look at my top twenty before we get to revealing them here, is I, I, I feel like there's only one or two. Well, no, okay, maybe three. There's only like maybe three that I discovered or watched for the first time whilst we did these seasons. The rest of them are all stuff I'd seen anyway. So. And we watched a lot of 70s movies that I hadn't seen over the course of those three seasons. And I'm glad I found the gems that I did, but that's definitely not the bulk of this list. Interesting. 
<laughs> I do not share the same <laughs> sentiment. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for uh, Tara's number one, No Blade of Grass. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All those dead carcasses of animals. Love that. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more about the... Uh, the, the possible... Never mind. No, 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 no. I know what you were going to say. No, no, the the the, the traumatizing birth sequence uh, is oh, what, yeah. what I was thinking about. Um, that's never leaving my brain. Um, that's that would be my twenty-one. <laughs> Just the birth sequence. Just the birth sequence. As far as horror films I've seen, it's definitely <laughs> the top one. Oh dear. Uh, so yeah, so we'll alternate numbers, but I'm actually I'm going to. Well, we, we, I've done many of these these before in the past between this show and streams with Tim and some other things with like Connor and whoever over time uh, and we have this you know there's a lot maybe one little thing to fix in the way we do these countdowns is we sometimes obviously have to talk about the same movie twice and I suspect that in this case that's going to happen so I'm going to introduce a new rule <gasps> that's right there's a rule <laughs> <laughs> the one rule <laughs> yeah but you know i'm a rebel <laughs> so here's the rule so let's say you give your number 20 and uh-huh. it's something i have higher up in my list i am going to tell you i have it higher and then we don't talk about it until we get to it on mine and vice versa okay and that way that we we only discuss each thing once and it means we're not like whole because sometimes, like, you, I find myself holding back a little bit when it's your entry. If I know I'm going to talk about it again, because I, I don't want to waste all my points. So I'm like, well, yeah, okay. It's just I don't. Um, I suspect we we have a lot of the sh- same shared films on here. That that is true. Yes, <laughs> yes. But I think that, especially since we had to shorten it to twenty. All right, let's do this. We'll experiment. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe this will work. I don't know, but I I I, I just I've heard other people do this, and I, it felt like a a nice idea okay um so we'll we'll give it a try so (laughs) without further ado uh we'll uh we'll get into it so uh tara yes (laughs) see that weird pause makes it feel like i'm about to ask something really important i'm like what's your number 20 My number 20 is Westworld. Uh, well, my number 20 is also Westworld, so this is really easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll wait till you go then. Well, well <laughs> no, <laughs> I think in this case, this just counts as me going too. Like, you know, like we're here, right? It's fourth to number 20. I, okay, yeah, fun. I think uh, <laughs> Westworld is a pretty, pretty cool film. It's got obviously got a really great premise because it's used again uh, later on. And uh, I think this is sort of a fun look at a, a proto Jurassic Park. Yeah, I was going to and ask, are you referencing the fact that the TV show, or are you referencing that Jurassic Park's the same plot with dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, yeah, it kind of applies to both, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, this, uh, the reason this movie, I think, really works is um, I really love Yul Brenner's performance in it as, like, the, uh, as the machine, as the unstoppable, almost proto-Terminator, <laughs> in a way. Um, I think that it's a really fascinating look at, um, at what people, you know, choose to do when they're in a park 
that is makes them act out fantasies. Obviously, that's something that's explored in the TV show a lot, but there are hints of it in this one as well. And um, pretty fun little flick. Hmm. Yeah, I you know, it's, it's weird to start off with a negative when I'm doing a top list, but like, I, I think I appreciate this film for all the things that it's introducing, even though I think that clearly all everything in it's done better later. <laughs> everything, like the idea of like yeah. the you know the Terminator is better than Yul Brenner's robot. The idea of the park where things go wrong, Jurassic Park is better, and even just the, the idea specific to Westworld. I think the TV show. Uh, and it's prime does it better uh although Bef- it, w- yeah before it got lost up its own butthole yeah yeah season three was <laughs> went down a rough rabbit hole unfortunately but it, you know it, it's one of those things where it's just it's so brimming with ideas and i i i, I appreciate kind of the just the, the the throwing everything at the wall kind of approach of it where there's so much going on I mean, the fact that we get, like, multiple segments of the park where you see, like, you know, hints of medieval world or, or Roman world and the, the idea of the company behind it all, the idea of the robots going 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 wrong and, like, the control center all freaking out when everything's like, going down the shitter. I mean, it's a movie that is full of ideas. It, it, it's a bit lacking in character. It's lacking, you know, the main, ca- the main two characters are kind of, like... But, you know, they, may as, they may as well be planks of wood uh, for things to happen to uh, a certain Great point. Great mustaches, though. They do have mustaches. It is an era of the mustache. There's no denying mm-hmm. that. Um, but it's it, it, it's a fun one to watch. Uh, is a sort of important step in kind of a lot of the science fiction ideas that go on. And I think you know, we said that about a lot of 70s movies when we were in the, 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 these sci-fi movies because so many of them are these early prototypes of movies that would be better later. And I think Westworld uh, sneaks into this top 20 for me because it, it does have so much DNA of lots of other things that I love from later. Um, so, yeah. That's pretty much it. Yep. Well, in that case, we're back to your, you for number 19 because uh, that was both our 20s. Well, let's keep this uh let's keep this going. Number 19 is a boy and his dog. You may continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Uh See, a boy you, and his dog. you thought this wouldn't work, but there's a little moment of suspense where you're like waiting to hear if I've got it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did say that you didn't there's not a whole lot of these that you uh got from our 70s months, so. True, true, true. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, so it is a post-apocalyptic film. Uh, The thing that I remember most about this movie is just how brutal a young man can be, a young child, I should say, even, um, in this post-apocalypse of survival and uh, trading goods that are women. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty brutal world and... The last act of the film, which uh, goes very bizarre in both the costume design and like character designs and like what has happened to societies in this post-apocalypse and where they're living and how they live. And it's a it's a really cool um, look at an apocalyptic future, which we see quite a few of these in this decade. Um, And this is one of the better ones. 
I think. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it definitely stuck out. It's definitely a bit more memorable than some of the other movies because it is so extreme and does have this kind of really dark like sense of humor to it. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a kind of a satirical edge that uh, kind of cuts through. I, I I don't know if I lo- like. I wasn't in love with like the last like third, the last act. I did think kind of just felt weird to me. <laughs> I just wasn't into it as much. Um, but yeah. So yeah, there you go. Very nice. Uh, my number nineteen is Silent Green. Um, pass. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> means we'll talk about it later. Okay. Right. <laughs> number eighteen Cause, cause, is because past past could mean like I don't need to talk about it. So <laughs> there you go. You could have picked a more confusing word if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, it's been decided now. Pass is the no, word. no, 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 no. We'll, we'll use uh, we'll use hold it, right? Hold it. Oh, I like pass. All right. <laughs> Number 18 is Logan's Run. This is also my number 18. <laughs> That's two. That's two that have synced up. It's yeah. fancy. Okay, yeah, I, I enjoy the film. It's uh, definitely dated. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sort of love that it's the last of the science fiction films that looks like this though this style of sci-fi like after after this sort of flash gordon period we just get um you know like the after star wars star wars changed just the way people took sci-fi uh seriously or not and uh, and um i think it's kind of I, th- I actually do think i really like the concept of the film and you know think it could be done better as a remake and i look forward to when they make that remake actually They've been threatening it for a long time, uh, yeah. bizarrely enough. Yeah, I, that, again, it's it's a bit cheesy, it's a bit dated, it's a bit all these things. There's a really goofy robot <laughs> at one point in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, the robot's, uh, it's a lot. But there is a charm, and I actually think this has one of the more interesting premise, premises, uh, premise of a lot of these films from the 70s. It, you know, this idea that they're in this, this society that lives underground where it's a utopia, but the price of that utopia is that everyone has to die when they turn 30, which now that, you know, both of us being over the age of 30, like, feels like silly to us now, because it's like, <laughs> the first time I watched this, I was like 20, and I was like, ah, that's plenty of time. It is more, more than 30 years. Uh, right, yeah. But, you know, it's the idea of rebelling against that system, and why is that system the way it is, and uh, all the themes that it kind of brings in. Uh, honestly, I think this is why we talk about this one kind of like crying out for a good remake in a way that we don't normally say that about a lot of movies is because it does feel like the premise is... Because, you know, I I like the the lead actors. I really like Jenny Agutter. You know, I don't have a lot of crushes from the 70s and 80s, but Jenny Agutter, uh, (laughs) you know, falls into that category. Uh, Yeah. But both of them, I think, are fine, uh, if not good. And I think the premise is really good. The, the the thing that really lets it down is the cheesiness of the 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 set designs and the costumes and the overall right. aesthetic, which is why you look at it and go, you know what, and and also the fact that the action's shot in like a really kind of traditional, dull Hollywood way. So you look at it and go, if this was like better directed with modern, you know, effects and sets and design, like 
it could be something really special with its premise which mm-hmm. i think is why it could i mean it could also end up being like the next young adult feeling movie. you know you could easily make this and market to the hunger games and divergence crowd if you wanted to which obviously would be a disappointment to us because it would be like ah well you've kind of taken it and turned it into shit but (laughs) but the hope would be something that feels a bit more like a sci-fi thriller i guess uh you know but but maybe a bit more cerebral which is what you'd hope for it Uh, is actually a great episode of futurama which oh. kind of makes sense because it is a great concept and you can see this working really well with in the right hands and Futurama had some great hands for sure for sure uh, uh and sometimes Futurama had great heads with no hands yep yeah uh, so no uh, no Logan's runs uh is it's definitely like a lot of these films I think early on in my list there's a lot of there's still a lot of flaws to point out in these but there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of like charm to uh, much of what it's doing. So yes, Logan's run number 18 for both of us, which I guess takes us back to you for your number 17. 17 for me is Mad Max. Well, I'll, I'll just say why I don't have this I don't have this. Uh, and it's because I've not seen it in 15 years. I suspect that if when I watch it again, it probably will make the, the top 20 for me, but I just couldn't remember. And obviously, it's something that's on our to-do list is to do the Mad Max movies, but uh, we haven't, so I couldn't include this. So, yeah. But, so, uh, yeah. That's all right. I've got, I've got uh, movies that I wanted to include in this. I know that I've seen, but it'd been like you yeah. know, 15, 20 years that I didn't feel comfortable enough saying, is it better than this one or not? You know, so uh, I would be happy to include them when we watch them again. But Mad Max is one that I've seen um, within the last few years. And I do remember thinking that, boy, this doesn't really look that apocalyptic. You know, that happens really in the in the sequel. But I do think that it is still like a, a concept that is that works with characters that are written really well. Um, and actors who, you know, would go on to reprise the roles even uh, what, like 40 years later. <laughs> So, uh, I, I very much still enjoy this film. Um, and yeah, can't wait till we watch it. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, I mean, did you have a premise for it to tease the audience? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, it's been a few years, so I don't really feel comfortable at the moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there is a revenge element, if I recall correctly, but yes. it's been a long time for me, so I, I yes, okay. Uh, Mel, Mel Gibson's wearing leather and driving around. Yeah, he looks awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, very good. Uh, my number 17 is Silent Running. You're good. Oh, okay. All right. uh, no, we, we, I mean, this is literally the last episode we did, so it's very fresh in the mind. Uh, this is... Again, flawed, but there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of genuine, like, intention behind this one. You can kind of feel a lot of passion went into it. There's a message that clearly people making this movie felt very passionate about. I will say that the message gets very muddled (laughs) as the movie goes on, I think. Um, And it is hard to get into the main character, but this is a film, you know, that pre-Star Wars has droids, and 
This is a film that uses a a, a derelict, not derelict, that's not the right word, decommissions, by the word I should use, uh, aircraft carrier, like, for its set. You know, it's just dressed up like an old ship to give its spaceship kind of this authentic feel. Um, and it does have a lot of interesting ideas. It does have some fun practical miniatures and effects and you know, it comes from the director who did effects work on 2001 so you can kind of feel like a, a concentrated effort to make the ship look cool to give it this kind of special vibe and it it, it 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 does like for for all the faults you can lobby at it it does feel kind of raw it does feel like someone's got this passionate idea and maybe we just don't have the a skilled enough director to really make it click yet but you can kind of again like a lot of these movies low down on my list from the 70s you can definitely feel them inching towards like it working like and because this is this is like uh well, this is early 70s but I, I think when you look at a lot of the movies from this 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 decade you you feel like a lot of trial and error you feel a lot of like try to make this this genre work in a way in a, in a more gritty, realistic way that wasn't attempted beforehand. You know, you go back before the 70s and it's like the 50s atomic cinema and all that stuff, uh, which is way wrong. Great. Named our show after the, the very idea. <laughs> but um, clearly, you know, when we get to the, the top end of this list, like, we're going to see the films that did get it right and did kind of reestablish what science fiction then could be. But right. this is a very valiant, like rough draft i think in silent running uh, for for all the faults you can throw at it i think you do feel that when you watch it right i actually i think that i will enjoy this movie um the next time i watch it more than i did when we talked about it because i i had a different um expectation for mm. the film when i sat down to watch it and i was disappointed and there are elements of it that i you know was a bit confused by while watching it uh i think the messaging gets kind of muddled but you know if if i'm able to like maybe learn more like watch an analysis or read something about you know someone else's interpretation of the film like i'm sure I'll, i'm sure there's enough there that i like that if it is at all elevated by any sort of uh, it does I don't know, help then i think i would love it. it it does have its following like there is definitely a fan base that really like appreciates it and calls mm-hmm. it an underrated gem and calls it like this like forgotten classic that should be remembered more i don't know if i'd go quite as far as that i, th- I think it just kind of falls somewhere in the middle but well there but... might be something we're missing as far as like you know the year that it came out and the time it came out like there could be some allegories that we're missing just because we don't have that history for sure yeah it's always, always a risk but uh yeah. we, can, we, we can only look at the films from our perspective uh and many don't have that problem and holding yeah. up you know so yeah, this one just narrowly missed for me. I I I do love the look of the film, though. I think it looks great. Yeah, you know, I, I like the sets, I like the ships, I like the the miniatures, uh, all all of that. I I, I really dig. Um, so cool. Uh, that's my number seventeen. What is your number sixteen? Number sixteen for me is ZPG or Zero Population Growth. Um, yeah, so it's another dystopian future about yeah, yes, uh, you may con- you may continue, yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is a new rule. <laughs> you just sprung this on me right before we started. Actually, after we started. <laughs> after we started, yes. <laughs> I learned when you guys learned. But yes, I don't have this one. 
Knock yourself out. <laughs> I kind of suspected you wouldn't. Uh, this this is another like um, yeah dystopian future because of too many people on Earth and uh, the air outside has become unbreathable. People have these. Uh, um, well, our main characters have these jobs where they just work in like a a museum of mid 20th century <laughs> items uh, where they just pretend that to be um, the families that we are you know currently in this future while people observe and it's uh our, our lead characters want to have a baby um but there's no population growth allowed because there's too many people and it's about uh their struggles in this world and i really i really like this movie like i i think about this film a lot when we watch other films um something will often remind me of it it's got you know some really terrific a-list actors in it and the uh I don't, I don't know like all the outdoor stuff you know it's very low budget and but i think they do a good job with um just making the world feel like it's like it's uh poisoned yeah well there's, there's this constant like like uh smog and they're all wearing gas yeah. masks when they go outside like i mean I, honestly this, this was close for me this is like probably like a 21 if you want to call it that for me uh right. and again flawed but what i will say is that i do like the idea of a couple wanting to have a baby in a world where it's illegal and treating it that way is it is mm-hmm. sort of you know the, the idea of dystopia you know it makes me think of something like fahrenheit 451 where you're not allowed books or something like even i mean <laughs> an equilibrium we're not allowed to have emotions but you know secretly some people do like it's kind of those same ideas uh but i think my favorite thing about it was probably just the feel of it and it was those scenes of them walking outside and they're all wearing gas masks because the because the atmosphere has just been ruined and mm-hmm. they're overpopulated all that stuff um yeah. watching people at a movie theater just watching people eat food that is no longer available to them anymore mm. was such a disgusting scene <laughs> <laughs> but it also just paints like this is this is what um you know gives them those endorphins like we get when we watch movies it's just watching people eat like cakes and uh, all sorts of you know meats and cheeses and stuff like that yeah uh i mean i wouldn't say that i want this one to be remade but you know much like what we've said up till now that you know that it does feel like oh a few of these things like you know kids you know we could get like a uh maybe a version of this that's even Cause, cause well, think, Thanos did it, right? <laughs> uh, I know, in a sense, I suppose you could say that. Well, he hits. I mean, this the big theme in this one, and I think even in Logan's Run also is uh, overpopulation. It's just there's too many people. You can't live as long. Oh, we don't have enough food. No blade of grass. I think it was like this too. Um, maybe even a boy and his dog. But I, I think that was post atomic war. It was. It was after the fourth world war. Come on, you don't remember yeah. that opening. No, I forgot. <laughs> uh, it's like two years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, ZPG. It's an interesting pick. It was definitely definitely one of the more interesting movies I think we discovered as we were like intentionally looking out for more seventies sci-fi. Yeah, so. I recommend it if you guys haven't seen it. It is kind of obscure. All right. Uh, that was your sixteen. My number sixteen is one that I don't think you'll have. I, I don't think. I think I'm a bit higher on this than you are, and that is the Andromeda Strain. Uh, correct. Yes. You may proceed. Thank you. See? 
so no i like this movie does have some stupid things in it <laughs> right no doubt um but like the the idea that there's this new virus right which admittedly is maybe a bit of a sore subject right now in the world but the idea that there's this new virus that takes out this town like all the scenes of like the two scientists get into the town to like investigate it like i really enjoy that stuff and then we have this like and it's not you know it's not foolproof like from a script perspective where i do think there's like weird plot holes with it but i do love this weird underground lab where they're doing all this testing to try and like you know find a, a cure or stop it or figure out how it spreads and like all these layers and there's a lot of like well we have to try and stop it from self-destructing towards the end and there's a lot of it's just fun movie like thrills right but it's mm-hmm. it's thrills in the context of a lab underground trying to like deal with a deal with the a virus and it, i i feel like for for me this kind of like is less the, the sort of like because zpg right to just compare it to what you just talked about that feels more like okay this is a science fiction film with science fiction ideas but you've got these classical actors try treating like a, a drama right and it's, it feels like a drama as you're watching it that this to me is a bit more like oh we've got like characters who are scientists and they're investigating a like a virus this sounds like it should be like a, a nitty gritty little film and maybe a, a dry film but instead, the movie treats it like it's really suspenseful and everything's like, you know, edge of your seat stuff. And I kind of like that play on yeah. it. <laughs> I, I can't think of any movie that you're describing that. Like, all the movies about viruses I can think of are super exciting. Because there's this one, there's The Rock, <laughs> Outbreak, the Rock. I've not seen Outbreak. I've not seen Outbreak. I've seen Contagion. Yes. Very exciting. Yes. Oh yeah, but Contagion doesn't have scenes like we have to get to the the bomb before it self destructs scenes. Like it doesn't have that, <laughs> right? It's very different. That's uh, true. You know, and we've got all these you know seventies outfits. We've got this futuristic lab. Like it's it's just a fun setting for a movie. And yeah, it's, lots of jumpsuits, which is yeah. always appreciated. Yeah, so it, it, I wouldn't say it holds up. Like I, I think the like a lot of the details of the plot do fall fall apart a little bit, and some of the ideas are a little silly, but. I do have fun watching it. Like this is the first one, maybe on this list that I would say I just had fun with with the enjoyment of it. And I, I know you have uh, a problem because there's a couple of animal testing scenes which are a little bit. Yeah, there's some torture in it. Yeah, uh, which I can appreciate. But ultimately, if I'm looking at the movie as a whole, though, uh, I have a, a decent time with this. So, Andromeda Strain is my number sixteen. Uh, Tara, what is your number fifteen? Number fifteen is the classic Death Race 2000. Hold it. Ah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not opposed. I'm so surprised that I have this lower than you. Hold it. <laughs> All right. My number 15, and I, I am sure you're not going to have this. All right, We've not done okay. this in the show yet. I'm sure we will at some point. Uh, but my number 15 is phase four. I, I don't have it. No. Yes. I have seen it, but it's been a long time. Phase four is so. I said, like, "Oh, it's a movie about a virus for Andromeda Strain," but it's actually really exciting. This is a movie about ants that are go- giant tur- ants. No, not giant. They're regular sized, uh, <laughs> but they're starting to turn on people. And this is about two scientists who have set up like a little makeshift lab, and they're studying the ants. And it's just them discovering, and like the ants slowly becoming more hostile. And it's shockingly 
great <laughs> it's entertaining and like they're very dangerous because there's so many of them and as you get these great scenes where they have to go outside and hazmat suits eventually and like it's like, it's da- like you have to like, if any ants get in the building it's going to be a problem if they get into our containment tent like you know we're screwed like really surprisingly entertaining stuff and there's a lot of great stock footage of like close-ups of ants like i remember stock footage yeah there's a lot Especially of stuff for Jans. Yeah. Uh, and it really kind of se- sells this idea of, like, the threat that we can't even really see. I mean, you can see an ant, sure. I mean, they're not that tiny. But, like, the idea that they're mobilizing and they're getting up to stuff, like, you don't see that. This is, like, this threat from below that we don't really notice. Uh, and just how dangerous we'd all... We, we would all be screwed. If the ants got smart and decided to rebel oh, yeah. against humanity, we would be absolutely screwed. <laughs> I got attacked and, by a bunch of ants... Uh, just last summer but i i think the movie does a great job of selling that like horror like it actually makes them scary uh yeah so it's a really good science fiction film i i i enjoy phase four um and i uh i recommend it i think it's a good time i do not really remember much i remember the stock footage and i also kind of remember it that it wasn't very good so uh, i look forward to watching it again i had a good time maybe we'll disagree on it but Hey-ho. Uh, all right, Tara, what's your number 14? My number 14 is The Ultimate Warrior, you which may... was another one. Of... Thank you. You may continue. <laughs> I just assumed we didn't have this one because <laughs> I remember our conversation about sure, it. Sure. That, and I was much more positive. Than it's just polite to give, give the, you know, give the, the pause for the go <laughs> yeah, ahead. It's, it's true. I definitely just forgot again. Um. <laughs> So, <laughs> anyway, this is another post-apocalyptic film. There's just so many of these in the 70s. Um, this one, I think, does a really great job of establishing, um, like, that urban jungle. People are living in New York City. Uh, there's just these holdouts, these bases that they've built. Um, there's a great villain. His name is Carrot, I think, because he has red hair. Um, he was a really fun <laughs> I, villain. I did not he, remember that detail. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why they call him Carrot because he had red hair. It, it, and he it, had like this scar around his neck mm. that where they never like explained it. He was just like a really big, I, intimidating look, guy. I'll, I'll be honest. I remember two things about this movie. I remember Yul Brenner standing still for like two days for like seemingly no reason, and I, I remember he was just on display. He was uh, you know looking for group. And then I also remember uh, Max von Sydow just kind of monologuing about the state of the world. Uh, I remember him being great in the movie. Um, yeah. Yes. It is a very strange title for the film. Yes. Uh, it doesn't really, like, line up very well. <laughs> Especially since if it's called that and your poster is Yul Brenner shirtless standing there, like, oh, he's going to be a fighter. But, I mean, he's hired as, like, a bodyguard. But he doesn't do any, like, really impressive fights or nah. anything like that. Oh, I remember, um, the, actually, the best thing about the movie, at least conceptually, is the idea that, you know, so this group of people in this now abandoned, mostly abandoned, you know, post-apocalyptic city, is that you've got a scene where the bad group tried to sort of invade their building. So there's a lot of, like, try to, like, get across from other rooftops with ladders and just, like, yeah, that's, that's the sort of stuff cool. that I could have done with more of. But that, that, that was definitely what I remember liking about it. Uh, yeah yeah i like the i i think it's very much like a proto zombie film um and just like uh, the people who you know you're on a holdout with uh, the survivors whoever left you know you gotta 
what kind of people are they going to be? Um, if you have to, you know, police them also like act as a leader, like where are your, where are your boundaries for, for rules? Cause like one guy's accused of cheating at, or stealing at one point and they basically just like, well, we're going to have to kill you now. <laughs> and these are supposed to be the good guys. So, but, and then it has a really, uh, climatic, uh, third act with a lot of good, uh, gore, like a lot of good death scenes. And yeah, I, I actually, I, I thought this one was kind of a hidden gem. I thought the acting was way better than it had any reason to be. And it was, uh, kind of, it was a fun film. I think I just didn't have, uh, characters that i liked rooting for to be honest i think that was my big problem with it is it felt a bit i felt a bit disconnected from them so i but now you've mentioned it, i do yeah i do seem to recall being surprised with how violent a couple of things were towards the end i think we talked about that in the review yeah uh i don't want to give any spoilers yeah. away but there's some there's some saw elements <laughs> uh yes I, I won't make an ultimate warrior joke I, I very easily could but i definitely did it in the review so i'll just move on yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. So that was your number 14? fourteen. Fourteen. Okay. My number fourteen is Rollerball. Not seen it. Yeah. Well. Uh, so not to be confused with the absolutely dreadful remake from two thousand one, starring Chris Klein <laughs> of American Pie fame. Right. Don't know who that is. <laughs> Uh, be happy. Uh, although for more recent people who watched the Flash TV show, he was the dreadful villain in, I want to say season five, maybe six, something like that. Uh, but, uh, he's awful and that movie's awful. Uh, but Rollerball, the original starring James Caan, is a very different story. It is in a future, a dystopian future where basically, remember, I don't remember if they say this outright in the movie, but I think it was kind of like robot jocks where instead of like going to war and stuff, they just deal with the, the disputes in this like sporting environment. So in robot jocks, it was big robot like boxing matches, basically. Uh, here it's like a, a roller derby, but with like a, you know, with a, like a ball. So th- think, think like roller roller skating Quidditch or something. I don't know, what, you know, whatever you want to describe it as. Um I assume but, this sport's very dangerous, otherwise it would not be on your list. The sport is pretty dangerous, uh, but, uh, well, I guess dangerous in the movie, that's kind of part of the plot of it, but, so James Caan is this, like, superstar player, right, and he's very good at it, and the, the crowd loves him, and the plot of the movie is that the mega corporations who control everything are starting to, like, they want him to retire, because he's basically becoming this, like, superstar, and that's against the point of the sport, is that the, the whole idea of their system is that the corporations are in control and no one sticks out. It's you know, so it's it's a very dystopian, controlling the population, like human spirit kind of sci fi movie. So they kinda mm-hmm. want him to like retire and James Khan's like, piss off <laughs> I'm not retiring. And they intentionally start So they murder him. Well they start stacking the deck by making the sport more violent and like taking away the rules in the hopes that they'll get murdered on the, the floor and he keeps saying no I'm going to keep doing this and like players die in the, in, in the games and it, you know it keeps escalating and it's, it's, it's very much a, like a, a human spirit movie of like no I'm not going to let you take away my individualism I'm not going to let you make me part of the the, the group um, like so you know there's a nice spirit behind it James Caan's obviously a wonderful actor he, he gives it a lot of weight 
just by being him. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, it's elevated in its status because we've got such a great actor doing this part. Mm-hmm. And I think what I like about it, and something that sticks out to me, that uh, something we've said about almost, or at least I've thought about every movie we've talked about so far, as much as I have given them praise for certain things, this might be the first one on this list where I cared about the character and was written for him and was written for what he stood for. And I think that is a big, a very important detail to distinguish this from everything that I've had so far on this list is that I care about him and I want him to win. I want him to show the bad guys that they cannot break him. So, uh, Rollerball, the original, was my number 14. Tara, what is your number 13? My number 13 is Time After Time. You may continue. <laughs> time After Time is Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Um, Wells. But he actually has a time machine. And who takes the time machine from him but Jack the Ripper, played by... What's his face? You know the name. David Warner. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. You're going to have to, you have to get that one. I remember David the one... David Warner goes the, to modern it, day. It's, it's Doc Brown's love interest. It's the, the love interest. I remember that. <laughs> right. Yes. Um... Mary, Mary Steenburgen. Or, yes. Something yes. some of that. And they had so much chemistry on screen that they actually got married and were married for like a decade. Mm. Which is so adorable. Yeah, so it, it is a love story. Jack the Rif- Ripper goes to the future using H.G. Wells' time machine. H.G. Wells follows him there, falls in love with the lady. And it is very fun. I, I, I like this movie from, you know, a while ago. Um... I think it, the, the it, it does a good job of incorporating the love story into it because I, I do care about these two characters and I want them to be together. And um, David Warner's, you know, a villain who, who murders ladies. So uh, always fun to see that. Any thoughts? <laughs> always fun to see that, you masochist. <laughs> <laughs> um i mean I, I mean i never cared about the romance i thought the romance was weak uh i'm not surprised that the marriage didn't last quite frankly uh, <laughs> well that ted dancing was quite handsome <laughs> yeah ted dancing came although in. so was malcolm mcdowell uh yeah i mean it was, it was just a bit of cheesy fun i didn't hate the movie like it was very watchable don't get me wrong i'm not gonna like be mean about it uh, but I mean, David Warner giving his like thoughts on how awful humanity is. And David Warner in the future, which is you know our past, but he's, I thought he's it my, is always fun. He's my favorite part. He's probably. I mean, I think maybe the correct way I say it was is the present because it was the present at the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, no, I uh, I like David Warner on it. I but mostly I think that the romance is kind of cheesy and just I didn't really feel much in the chemistry between them to be honest. But you oh, know, I sure did. Diff- different opinions. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I also I happened to see the pilot when they tried to turn this into a TV show on CBS like a couple of years before we did this. Uh, it got cancelled after like three or four episodes because it was terrible. <laughs> but uh, did uh, not know that that was the thing. It was a thing, but I mean, you probably can't even find it now because it was cancelled almost immediately. So it's not like it's not like they put a commemorative Blu-ray set or anything. Like here's all four episodes <laughs> before right. it got cancelled. So, but yeah. So that's your number 13. Very nice. Yes, sir. My number 13 is the Stepford Waves. Hold, please. There you go. 
I knew you were going to say hold. <laughs> Sometimes you just know. You just know. Uh, what is your number 12? Well, you might hold this one. God told me to. Hold! <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know my number, twel- number 12. My number 12 is safe because it's one that I hold. I asked you to hold earlier. Uh, Death Race 2000 is my number right. 12. Um, this is just a good example of fun. This is just a good example yeah. of a fun, well-paced movie with over-the-top characters it is live action wacky races and i know i know tara had never seen this growing up uh, wacky races because we brought this up in the review and she looked at me like i was absolutely mad but that's what it is it's, it's wacky races but with a little bit of a tinge of uh like i don't even know if it was r-rated it definitely felt like there was a lot of like ass and yeah. shots from stallone oh, there's a lot of boobs and you get yeah. some bush Bush, that's right. Oh, that's right, because yeah, the first... I mean, the, the, the follow-up seasons we did weren't too bad, but that first 70s season, there was like six movies in a row with full Bush. It was yeah. like a really consistent trend for a bit. Um, But you have fun action sequences, you have very memorable characters because... And yeah, sure, they're boiled down to cartoony elements, but that's okay in a movie where the premise of the movie is that there's a race every year where they like have to like race each other to the death and the winner gets you know they, they go cross country they have breaking points uh but they, they try and like outdo each other so there's literally i mean not to spoil too much but there is it's one... like it's like the cannonball run yeah. but you you have to hit people along the way yeah uh you have to hit people and you get points for it um so that makes them instantly a bit villainous uh, for the most part. But then there's one or two. So, I mean, the idea is basically like, yeah, this is kind of an awful thing. And there's like one or two characters who are actually trying to like take it down from the inside, and that's kind of your your actual plot plot. But yeah, it's uh, a little Hunger Games. But the what the, the you know just to, to give you a feeling or a taste of it, uh, there is one team because it's all all teams of two. Is there's one team that basically get a Looney Tunes death? Yeah, they're they're tricked with Looney Tunes techniques and it's glorious and maybe <laughs> laugh hysterically and it was like okay i love it and there's, there's, there's some stuff that's weird about it like you know david carradine uh frankenstein our hero his name is frankenstein he, he wears a gimp suit he wears this weird gimp suit it's, it's very, so i mean all the jokes that we might make about his death in a normal circumstance is amplified immensely when he's walking about in a gimp suit because all of right. a sudden, like you, you're sort of like putting it more into the brain, like what jokes you might make. But uh, I had a blast with Dead Race 2000. So uh, yeah, I, I love this film. I I actually have seen it uh, a number of times. It's one of those uh, VHSs that sort of made the rounds in my group of friends. And uh, yeah, it's uh, everything you want from a 70s cheese fest film. <laughs> I love the idea of like 11 year old Tara like going. Hey, you need to see this movie. David Carradine's wearing a gimp suit <laughs> to, to her friend Sally. We all saw the warning signs. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. David Carradine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, no. And all of the, you mentioned Sylvester Stallone's in there, one of his early roles that's as a villain. That's right, yeah. So that's a nice little bit of trivia. Uh, but yeah, good, the, good the times. The movie sort of spawned, um, I want to say this is the first one that like did it. Maybe Cannonball Run was earlier, I'm not sure. But that that spawned like a bunch of racing films, like just dr- people driving across country. Like mm. there's this one, there's Cannonball, there's Desport, which is like a sequel to this sort of. I think uh, I think uh, Carradine plays the same guy. Uh, it's, it's not. It's not a sequel. He's just it's just David Carradine in a motorbike movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, 
I've never seen Cannonball Run, so I have no no comment. I yeah, I've, seen, I, I've seen it, and I've seen Cannonball. And there's just a lot of 70s movies that, if they weren't, like, driving cars or motorcycles, they were driving, like, trucks. There's a lot of trucker films from this time, which, again, is just following a guy across country. That was just a thing people wanted to do in the 70s, I guess. Some of these movies are great. Uh, not 70s, but uh, I highly recommend Road Games. It's like Rear Window on the Road. Uh Starring Stacey Keach and Jim Lee Curtis. Oh, I love Stacey Keach. Yeah, from the early 80s. It's a really good little thriller. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, from the director yeah. of Cycle 2, which is also a pretty solid movie. So uh, I recommend That's Road Games. That's not an easy thing to yeah, follow up. No. Well, I think I did, I think I did uh, Road Games first. I think Road Games was the movie he did before Cycle 2. Mm. But... Uh, so yes, Death Race 2000. Very, very entertaining Highly recommend it. Have have some fun. Don't look for yes, it. It's too serious. It's great fun. Just have fun. Uh, all right. What is your number eleven? My number eleven is Escape from the Planet of the Apes. You may continue. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I I'm a big fan of the uh, original Planet of the Apes films. I like all the sequels for varying different reasons, but I do think that this is the best sequel. This is sort of. Um, you know, spoilers for the second film, but this is a follow-up to a sequel where the planet explodes at the end. So, like, <laughs> where do you go with it? Why you take our two lead apes and you put them in a pod and you send them to modern day. And they have a lot to... Uh, they sort of become celebrities and, you know, you learn a lot about humanity along the way. And it's... Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the, the main thing is it's a rule of... You know, it's, it's just flipping the premise of the first film. The first film right. was human and ape society. The third film is apes and human society. It's, you know, it's just flipping the premise. Uh, right. And they, you know, bring up the issue of pets and animal rights and also uh, human rights. And it gets incredibly dark by the end of the film. Uh, yeah. I mean, I will agree it's the best sequel. Uh, and I would say that it probably didn't miss my list by much. Like, it was the only one out of the sequels in contention. Uh, I was so. I, I wanted to put Beneath on there because <laughs> I like Beneath also. I think Beneath is, uh, is is super bad, but actually like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you phrased it that way. Yeah, because otherwise, otherwise I may never respect your taste in movies ever again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, something about that society that worships the bomb. I, I kind of represented them in the uh, a boy and his dog. <laughs> Because <laughs> they have their own similar society. So I feel yeah. like they're kind of represented. All right. Very good. Uh, my number 11 is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hold, please. I figured this much. All right, what's your number 10? My number 10 may surprise people that it's on this list uh, is Superman. Hold. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Hold! <laughs> I need to say it like I'm, a, I'm like I'm Braveheart and I'm at the front of the, the battle lines. Well, what is your number ten? Uh, my number ten is Demon Seed. Uh, hold. Why did you have to check? You didn't know. Well, I didn't know where it was on the list. <laughs> okay, <laughs> have, I, have I said it already? Uh, okay, okay, all right. A lot of holding get on here now. <laughs> get the top ten. Uh, all right, what's your number nine? Number nine is Solaris. Oh! Ah, okay. <laughs> All right, fine. 
<laughs> What's your number nine? Oh, this one's safe. My number nine, and I, I only know it's safe because we, it was brought up before we started recording. Uh, my number nine is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. Uh, uh, which Tatter's just either not seen or just hasn't seen in a, such a long time. Oh, I, I've seen it, but yeah. it's been so long I didn't feel comfortable putting that's, it on yeah, the that's list. Cool. Cool. It's, my, it's like your Mad Max uh, entry, basically. Uh, so... No, Body Snatcher 78 is an interesting spin. Yeah, we've not done these movies yet on the show, but the 50s ones, like traditional 50s sci-fi, one of the better examples of 50s sci-fi. And in the 70s one, it's like, okay, now we're in this darker, grittier, like more tense version of Hollywood that will make these types of movies. And you have kind of a all-star cat Leonard Nimoy's in there Del Sutherland's in there you get a young Jeff Goldblum like hell of a cast um it has very unique mechanics uh, the noise that the 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 body snatched people make uh I think it sort of is ingrained into most people's memories if you've seen the movie uh it's got a great ending it's it, it and it takes it out of the because you know the, the original movie in the 50s was set in a small suburban town as lots of 50s sci-fi was set in and i do love that setting but this takes it and puts it in the middle of a city and so we're avoiding urban centers there's like hordes of people once we get you know the plot going uh like there's very little places to hide there's very tense chase sequences there's a lot of hiding in the dark there's a lot of like almost being got by the the alien plants that are taking people over all very good stuff um it, i mean I, but, I suspect it also has more social commentary than maybe the 50s or at um, least different very, very lightly I, I think the main thing though honestly is just the direction like i think the, the original movie is well directed for its time but i think the direction in the 1978 version is like no i'm going to make you feel this right it's not just a fun premise i'm going to make you on the edge of your seat as someone may or may not have already turned can you trust this other person uh is it safe to fall asleep these kinds of ideas like all of that you feel that as you're watching the 1978 version uh and that's the big thing so it's the direction more than anything else obviously the all-star cast does help a lot but i think it's the direction that really truly and the overall palette and just like you know because like a lot of 50 sci-fi the 50s one is relatively I mean, it's black and white, so you don't see a lot of color, obviously, but it's relatively bright. It's relatively, you know, simple in its visual design. Uh, whereas yeah. all of a sudden you watch the, the 78 one and you feel like, oh shit, like this city is a jungle and we have to like survive it somehow. So good stuff. That's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. Uh, what is your number eight? Number eight we could talk about. It's okay. Demon Seed. Ah, yes, yes. Demon Seed. Uh, that this might be the biggest gem I think I found whilst we were doing these seasons. Um, not without its flaws, but the the premise of this movie is that you have uh, the main character who is this this wife who has actually been separated from her inventor slash scientist husband, and but he's leaving for a bit and she's got the house to herself but he's got like a lot of fancy computer tech that he's installed into the house he's got like an ai system that controls all the stuff like the locks all the defense mechanisms uh joshua i think oh the name of the computer sure 
uh, and you've got all this going on. And the movie's basically, yeah, the AI is, like, sentient and is, like, watching her and decides that it would like to, well, impregnate her, uh, <laughs> put simply. So she ends up trapped in the house and she's kind of this, like, prisoner to this computer system. And there's outside help that occasionally almost comes and saves her or maybe figures out that she's in trouble and there's back and forth and all the rest of it. But, so it's got a great, like, thrilling like progression to it because you realize she's in danger she feels vulnerable but then as the movie goes on you get some really unique like representation of maybe not a robot per se but like like the the, the ai later in the movie creates like a a physical manifestation of itself and it is one of the most unique like things i've seen yeah, in a movie a very like this odd geometric shape yeah uh, so really dig that. De- de- I just yeah, it's just a really good little movie. Maybe you can fight false with it, but it's got a fun premise. Uh-huh. It asks some big questions. It's got some good good actors in it, and great actors. Uh, oh yeah, Garrett Graham's in it. So Tara's all <laughs> all about it. Uh, no, David David Seeds David Seeds a really intriguing little movie. <laughs> Right. Shall I say? I've rewatched it since we watched it for the show, and mm. it did get like higher on my list on on a rewatch because I do think that it's and actually like a really good movie. Um, I listened to another podcast. That I can't remember the name of it. I'm afraid. And don't promote they, them anyway. Why dare you? <laughs> well, I, I just want to like say they 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 brought up some really interesting ideas that I didn't even consider because you know they're much smarter than me and. I thought that, uh, and it just enhanced my enjoyment of the film even further. And I think that uh, Proteus, the AI system, it acts in a way that's incredibly logical because that's what he's supposed to do. And like uh, that, the couple sort of represents um, both sides of that mindset, I guess. So you have like the logical scientist husband. And then the wife, who is also like a child's therapist, she's all about feeling. She's always asking him about uh, more human qualities, whereas he's very cold. And he built Proteus to be that way because he built him like him. And Proteus um, is acting in a way where he just wants to survive. And he knows that his his time is up or his numbers are whatever up because he's already defined um the orders that he was built for because he knows like if if you guys if i give you the answers then you guys will start digging in this area and you will destroy the climate and destroy humanity so i'm not going to give you the answer that you need and so he knows that his you know his days are up he's going to get shut down and he's doing everything in his power to survive and i think the movie just goes in such a a direction that you don't expect like you mentioned <laughs> that he's trying to impregnate julie christie in this film and it, it seems like it would be dumb but actually the movie's really smart and it's done really well and uh totally a hidden gem it's taken so seriously that um for for its premise that for, for all you the can't better love it for, for all the better i think i think the fact that it takes itself mm-hmm. seriously is what even if some of it does end up feeling a little goofy because it is taking itself seriously, I think the fact that it commits to its ideas and actually wants to explore them makes it much more fascinating as a movie and engrossing than it would be 
if it was treating it like schlock. Because, yeah, like, you know, he's got, like, a robot arm on, like, a chair that's, like, picking things up and stuff. That right, we brought that up during yeah, the um, which feels, silent, silent running. Which feels unrealistic at points, and, you know, it's a little bit silly, but I, I much prefer what that movie does uh than to like trying to like camp it up or whatever to make it, you know try 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 and forgive it you know to, to camp it up to try and make the audience like forgive any little qualms like that I actually think it taking yeah. itself seriously is what makes it feel kind of dangerous to the character that she is imprisoned this way and um, that it feels like it is bordering on these philosophical questions and it's kind of provoking these ideas now is it as good as you know some other films obviously we've got higher on our list. Yeah, it's not. It, there is some rough edges, which I think is why it stays a little, little bit I lower think, down. I think the voice of Proteus is a is a flaw of the film, sure, for sure. <laughs> and he's so so much of him is in it, you know. Yeah. But I I think the actor who did it sort of played him too men- menacingly. I mean, he is a you know a scary voice, but like I think it's uh, I don't know. I I don't think it's appropriate for the film because you already like just don't trust him because he's. He basically just says, like, I'm Bob Evil, the computer, <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah. So, there you go. That is Demon Seed. Um, yes. What? So, that was your number eight, right? Correct. Okay. My number eight is Star Wars. Hold. I figured you'd say that. Uh, what was your number seven? Seven we could talk about. It is the Stepford Wives. Oh, there you go. Yeah, this is the... Uh, I want to say the second movie inspired by a Disneyland ride <laughs> that I that is on the list, um, both of our lists. So I I really uh, I had not seen this movie before we reviewed it. Uh, I did not know what it was about. I didn't even know it was a sci-fi film until we had to to do this. I always thought it was just some sort of comedy drama or whatever about. The Real Housewives of blank blank. I'm not sure. It, but it, it turns it, out it's it, a very... Uh, it's, a sl- it's a slow build to sci-fi. It's, it's that thing where it's just sort of a creeping idea. It's, it's very body snatchers, actually, in a way. Yes. You know, it's the idea you've got this small community where, uh, like, the main character, she is this housewife, and she's starting to, like, look for, like, friends and things to do. And she's sort of, like, building, like, a, a group of friends who are starting to support each other. And then one by one, they start to act differently. Like they stop rebelling. I mean, not even rebelling. That's not even the right word. They, they just they stop complaining about whatever their husbands were doing before. They stop having minds of their own, and now yes. just seem to want to serve their husbands. They're, they're just all about worshiping their own husband. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it kind of it's, it's this film where ultimately, of course, like. What, and all of their hobbies are now just domestic chores yeah well, and what, they love it <laughs> so it's why is this happening and what's going on and it, it obviously i don't want to spoil it and but the fact that we're saying it's science fiction should should give you a bit of a hint <laughs> right give you a bit of a hint but it, it kind of builds up and teases things out and it is kind of this this movie where it's closing in on her the whole time until you get to this climax where it kind of all comes out and uh, is spilled onto the table. Great ending. And there's some nice foreshadowing as well. Uh, there's a great moment at the start of the film. I won't say what's happening, but there's a great moment where like the family are just getting ready to leave the city and move to Stepford. Mm-hmm. And the dad just sort of says to his kids, that's why we're moving to Stepford. And what he's looking at, what they're referring to when he says that, is actually... I mean, it's really funny the first time anyway, 
but it's it's funny in the opposite way once you know what the end of the movie right. is <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was uh one of my favorite discoveries um from doing this show because i i just think it's such a great um like uh, social commentary about gender roles of females of women. So, and obviously, you know, it's a bit more personal for me watching it, but I, which is probably why I have it a bit higher than you, but it's a, a fantastic film with a really great ending and highly, highly recommend. Yeah, no, it's, it's very good. It's very good. Um, so there you go. Uh, all right. That was your number seven, seven. My number seven is star Trek, the motion picture. Hold. <laughs> I feel like you've held we, a lot. We don't have that many left. Yeah, I know. I feel. I feel like there's going to be a lot now coming up that we've, we've held on. All right. What is your number six? Soylent Green. At that nineteen, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you, clearly you're the one more passionate here. You. Well, I mean, if it, if you listen to the review, uh, that shouldn't be a surprise to you. I love this film. I think this movie is uh, really well told and well acted. Um, I I love me some Charlton Heston, and he is uh, he's so good at playing a a likable kind of gray guy, <laughs> and uh, he is a. Uh, yeah, so this is a film about, uh, again, scarcity of food, overpopulation. Companies have come out with um, products for people to eat. They're just called Soylent, some sort of soy and lentil mixture. And there's different colors, presumably, for different nutrients that people need. And uh, there's a new one out called Soy in the Green, and it's all the rage. And um, there's a murder in the beginning connected to the Soylent Company. Yeah, and I, Charlton Heston is I, the detective. Who's yeah, I was going to say you were spending a lot it. of time describing the the food thing. I'm like, but the plot of the movie is a murder mystery. <laughs> like that's that's I almost background. Uh, the murder mystery is and the investigation of why someone was killed is kind of what the main the main plot is. <laughs> hey, I don't do this as often as you. <laughs> I was getting to it though. <laughs> anyway, um, I I think that the film uh, is really great on its themes and messages and performances. Uh, very, uh, you know, nail biting, suspense at times, and um, great, great flick. I love this one from you know when I was young too. So there's a little bit of nostalgia, but I do think it holds up. Yeah, it's squeezed out of my list uh, because I can't deny that some of the the ideas. Uh, I like talking about the world building that's in the film. Uh, I don't necessarily have, I don't have the, the affinity for Charlton Heston you do. I think Love he's, him. he's fine in the right roles. Uh, <laughs> Not in real life, but like in movies. Love sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I don't think of it as highly as you do clearly, but it did squeeze on. Um, it's the sort of thing though, where once, if we discover a few more gems, it will get bumped off for me out of a 20. Whereas obviously for you, it's pretty safe up. Uh, quite high, so... I will continue to represent. Yes, that's very good. All right, my number six is God Told Me To. All right, we can finally talk about this bizarre film. God Told Me To is the gem of all gems. This is something I discovered about, a, I don't know, a decade ago or something? I don't, know, I don't know how it's been there. And it was one of those things where, back when we first had the idea to do a 70s month, for whatever reason... um. Tara had mentioned she'd already watched this. Like, she'd watched this just kind of because Criterion had, like, a 70s batch of movies up. And I said, you watched... God told me to. God told me to is great. We should talk about it. And 
it's it is it's obviously it sparked the whole thing. We we can't even really tell you why it's science fiction because this is a movie that starts off with almost just like a cool thriller premise where it's the middle of new york city and there's a sniper on a rooftop just shooting people in the street and they they get up to whatever tower he's on and the cop there's the main character goes up to him and right before he kills himself the guy just says god told me to and it's like starts off this mystery okay why did he like start shooting people and it's the investigation but this movie, and I, I describe it this way every time I talk about it, but it is the best way to do it. It's a movie that takes constant hard left turns in its plot, but every time it takes a left turn, it commits to that new direction 110%. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is balls to the wall crazy. It's and it wild. Commits to it. Yeah. It, it's wild. And it, Which it, is why I, I had it number 12, you know, not that much lower. Yeah. But, uh, but I. I it's a wild ride. It's a roller coaster of progression, and I actually do think it has some merit and like its absurdity. Like I, I think it. It's there's some nice Jesus allegories it, in there. It holds together like it way better than it should. It, it, like it functions as a movie way better than it ever really should. Uh, it's kind of wild. Um, Richard it's got Lynch. Richard Lynch in it. Yeah, Richard Lynch plays a unspecified role. Uh, <laughs> We can well, we can't spoil Must watch it. Film. Yeah, we can't spoil yeah. it. So, but he's he's in there. Um, just trust us; it'll leave you with a lot of talking points. And if you you know go back and check out a review because that was there was a lot to talk about. <laughs> there was a lot a yes. lot of plot details to dissect in that film. So, if you have not seen this film, watch this film. Highly recommend. God told me to. Highly recommend it. What's your number five? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ah. The classic film about communication. <laughs> That's a season one joke. You don't get to do it anymore. We have seasons? <laughs> That's right. Does that mean we're on season four now? Because this is like this is our fourth year. of. Is it the fourth and our third? Well, it'll be three years in a few months, so this is the fourth year. Oh, if, yes. season, if season one's 2019, season two's 2020, 2021, season three, 2022, season four. That's right. That's right, Peter. So, it's us in Discovery. Um, oh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's obvious, it's a very personal film for Spielberg. You can tell when you watch it, it's about a man who sees something and becomes obsessed by it to the point where he does not seem to notice or care about his family even more <laughs> anymore even so it's uh, uh people see objects in the sky and start having visions and it's not we follow mostly richard dreyfus in this um and he keeps getting this this vision of a thing and he doesn't know what it is but he knows it's important and he's um obsessed with it and it's it is sort of like watching a man become obsessed with his own art or his own you know, passion or work, um, and the effects that has on a family, and if he can even have a family at this point. And uh, it's I, a very... I think you should mention that the the objects in the sky are very clearly UFOs. Like it's yes. it's flying lights and shit. It's not you know it's not. Yeah, yeah. So... But I mean, you know, it's it's directed by Spielberg, and you can tell he just the man like has a vision when it comes to his films, and it's, it, it's it comes better, through so well. It's better directed than most of the films we've talked about so far 
Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why, like, you know, I didn't have it as high as you, but why it is my number 11 is because it does feel so polished in direction. Um, it's right. not my favourite Spielberg sci-fi by any means, but... Uh, or even my f- favourite Spielberg movie of the 70s, because, you know, Jaws kind of exists. <laughs> but Yeah, and uh, Duel. And Duel, yes. Uh, but it, it is... Like the the spectacle, you know, the ending, which we won't talk about much here because we're staying away from spoilers. Like, does feel very grandiose. It does feel very big. Um, like, I, I think there's other films that tackle the subject in a way that I probably enjoy more. You know, Arrival springs to mind, or you know, I mean, obviously it's a very different film, but like ultimately it's about communication and it's about first contact, and those are the the main Even things. Even contact, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. So, good movie. Spectacle and but, Spielberg is what you're going to get, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number five is Superman, uh, which you brought up a little bit earlier. Uh, I did. So yeah, I did at ten. Superman is an important film from my childhood. It's one that I grew up watching. Uh, you know, Superman and Batman were my my superheroes as a kid, and. As far as, like, treating this like a science fiction film, I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, it absolutely is. I mean, Superman's always an alien, so he's always technically sci-fi. But this film in particular, like, that opening 15 minutes... Uh, Krypton? Krypton. <laughs> Not my fault Marlon Brando can't say it properly. Uh, but that opening 15 minutes is spectacular. Like, the, the, the look of Krypton, the ice planet... Uh, the music, I, I, you know, I actually did like a, a bit of content recently that got, was never finished, so it's kind of a lost thing. It's on Patreon if people want to check it out, but um, I talked about Superman quite a bit. And one of the things I mentioned about the music of Superman uh, that I really like, and this goes with the visual style as well, I suppose, is it starts off with like their take on 2001. You know, that slow build up as the music's kicking in. And uh, I'm not saying like it doesn't sound like the melody of like the main track from 2001, but it's definitely evoking that that, that slow. No, I, I always build. thought that that yeah. um, that song, the um, thus spoke Zarathustra what? or something, also sprach Zarathustra. Why do you even try? Like that's <laughs> by Strauss. You're setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> I think. Well, whatever. People know what I'm talking about, and it's. I, I've always thought that 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 could be a Superman song. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Krypton Steam kind of is reminiscent in some ways of that, uh, and along the visuals, which is okay. Here's space. Here's science fiction. Here's all this stuff. And then you go to the stuff growing up in Smallville, and it's like classic Americana. It's a lot of sweeping shots of you fields. Even got Glenn Ford there from uh, Three Ten to Yuma. Sure, it, you got sweeping shots of fields. You've got kind of like the fifty style of like you know high schoolers and cheerleaders. You've got the farm. You've got this kind of like traditional family values vibe that it gives, right? So. You go from the unknown science fiction world to classic Americana. And then you transition into the, 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 the second half of the film, which is Superman and present day and the city and all that stuff. And that's kind of like, I mean, it's present day, but it's, you know, Superman is the man of tomorrow, right? And the idea being that taking him from where he came from and clashing it with, like, our old school values and our old school, like, earth, if you will you then have this new concoction which is the world of tomorrow which is what the rest of the film is and i think the way that influence spreads throughout the film is is really quite magical and the way it transitions from those seg- you know, to segment to segment uh is great it's not a perfect film like i you know i think that the plot of like the missiles and lexi's plan in the back half is it's, it's not it's not amazing like it's just kind of 
you know, it's yeah, functional. Lex is just another Bond villain. I mean, Gene Hackman's very entertaining, but yeah, he's, he's not my yeah. preferred version of Lex by any means. But uh, obviously, I mean, as far as Superman adaptation goes, Christopher Reeve is like. I watched the movie yeah. again last year, and it, he's like, so good. There's so many little moments. There's a great moment after. It's when he comes for the. It's right after he's flown around with Lois, right, uh, as Superman, and he actually like you know speeds around to the front doors, Clark, and he comes in, and it's like, oh, we've got mm-hmm. a, a date or something, and she says like, oh, I need to go and get something in the bathroom, and she she leaves the room, and he's still sort of talking to her like through the the wall, just sort of shouting, but he has this moment where he takes off his glasses, and. His body language changes as he takes the glasses. Yeah, he stands up right. Superman. And it's like he just try he's still wearing a suit, he's still wearing a tie, he's still dressed as Clark Kent, but it doesn't matter. He just became Superman in a mm-hmm. second. He is perfect. It, like like I, I have a favorite version of Lois and Perry and all the other characters from other versions. You know, uh, Lois and Perry I love from Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Um I'm not sure who my favorite Jimmy is. I'd have to think about that. But, like, you know, I have other things that I prefer types of the other characters from. Who's your favorite nuclear man? (laughs) There's only one nuclear man. (laughs) Or, sorry, nuclear man. Nuclear. Nuclear. Nuclear man. Krypton. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, no, it's magical. John Williams' score is, like, like, transcendent. Like, it really is one of those, like, soundtracks that's just, like, this this elevates it. Anyway. Same same with Jurassic Park. Like Jurassic Park and Superman, like they're both good movies anyway, but they are elevated so much by that music. It like it's just unreal. It really gives yeah. it this this bigger, larger than life quality. So, um, yeah. So yeah. Um, what can I say about Superman? <laughs> uh, I obviously I really love the film too. I had it on my list. It was easy to put in. I think that. Superman, uh, yeah, Christopher Reeve is uh, my favorite Superman as well. I think he just he he just gets it. I love the element that he is a fish out of water because he's just a country boy who's gone to the city, but he's also a fish out of water because he doesn't belong where he's not from Earth, and he's so good at um, uh, like there's a wholesomeness that doesn't come off as like dated from mm-hmm. him. You know, like, it still feels appropriate uh, and and modern appropriate, you know. Um, he's, yeah, it's a great, great film. I, I don't really know how, mu- how much I can expand on it, so <laughs> we can move on. I mean, Christopher Reeve gets to smile, as Superman should. Yeah. Which, read from that what you will, about other adaptations. Uh, so, there you go. What's your number four? Star Trek the motion picture. Ah, there you go. Yes. Are you ready for so we... five slow minutes of approaching the ship <laughs> as Jerry Goldsmith glides us in on his music? Oh, yeah. We get some real Enterprise porn in oh, this yeah. film. And it kind of sets up like it It almost becomes a trope later on. But they, I feel like they do it every movie. It just gets a bit shorter. Mm. It, this is definitely the longest one. Yes. I love it. I unabashedly uh, love it. Uh, I, oh, yeah. Do, do not take it away from me. I'm not having uh, it. I think, I, I mean, I know when this movie came out, people were really upset. Like, fans were just like, this is not the Star Trek that I remember. As somebody, you know, in the future looking back on it and going, yeah, but it's so cool. Like, it's so, like, it looks great. No, 
Star Trek, in my mind, has never looked better than in the motion picture. I love all the jumpsuits. Some people don't look great in the gray, or not gray, but the beige jumpsuits. Mm. It's too close to skin color. I mean, maybe. uh, uh, I love the white uniforms and everybody looks great because you know they're still trim and fit <laughs> and and everyone's got great hair i mean i, I would i would maybe like change Scotty gets his mustache i would maybe change the outfits but other than that yeah like i think everything else in the movie looks great I, and it, it goes all the special effects are just it, it like goes, are, are fantastic it goes for more of a slow burn 2001 esque there's a mystery out there we have to go you know what's what's v'ger there's v'ger out there and it's going to like cause problems we have to go and investigate it and to me that was always what Star Trek... Well, so this idea that... It, this is not the Star Trek I remember. What are you talking about? All the best episodes of Star Trek, the original series, is there something weird in space in front of the ship and they have right. to figure it out. This is just that. There's a hot what, lady in an alien costume. This is just that, but with like an insane budget and like gorgeous right. optical effects and miniatures and all the things that come with that. It is a beautiful mm-hmm. film. I this, It baffles me the disrespect that the motion picture gets. I completely agree. It's better I than Wrath of Khan. Awesome. Better than Wrath of Khan. I mean, I, I obviously I love Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan kind of sets up the. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dissing. Sets Rath- up what the movies are going to look like for a little while after that too. I'm not dissing uh-huh. Wrath of Khan. I'm not trying to downplay that movie, but I am saying this is better, and <laughs> people can suck it because I'm not having it. <laughs> I I think it's great too. I think this the plot is much more of something we get in like the later '90s star treks i think just yeah not not so actiony you know just about trying to figure out this problem and how to save the world um without you know just shooting everything in sight uh not that there isn't any battles you know they're still here they're still klingons and they also have a great theme um yes so i i love this film (laughs) <laughs> 10 out of 10 <laughs> one day we'll do the star trek films and i'll get to rate them all 10 out of 10s <laughs> they're not all 10 out of 10s I'll, 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 I'll say that um so what's your four don't rush me i may have had oh, more I thought, to say i thought we were done i, I may have had more to say on track hey come on you asked me what my four was i get to ask you <laughs> i'm hosting <laughs> <laughs> it's my show <laughs> um, yes i guess i'm done with star trek the motion picture uh, all right uh my number four is solaris okay um i mean we just talked about this recently uh, as with a couple of these and it's a philosophical film that you kind of have to pay attention to you have to think about what it's saying and you have to think about what it's doing the main gist of it is that this uh scientist is going out to investigate the solaris space station which is orbiting the planet solaris and he's going out there to basically decide if they should just pull out from like monitoring solaris because they're you know effectively for decades they've been trying to basically establish like like materials minerals resources on the planet that they can use for for their goals uh, that they can use for any reason but the planet has this weird effect on people and everyone who comes back from the Solaris station is kind of messed up and weird and talks about seeing things and, and all the rest of it. So he goes out there to study the crew and basically ascertain, like, should we abandon this or is it still worth pursuing? And, of course, as soon as he gets out there, he starts seeing things. He starts seeing his dead wife walking around 
and it becomes very much about why is that happening you know what was it saying about who he is as a person about how he treated this woman when she was alive uh is this cr- creation is she alive now is she like her own being all all these kind of ideas and it, it all rolls up into like bigger questions about humanity and what is life what is not life what should we appreciate what what our nature is and how we act with new ideas and new things and new beings um and a lot of it is the implication that solaris itself is sentient and may also be kind of doing the same with us and that's maybe what a lot of what's going on so i'll, I'll leave it there premise wise but that's the the, sort of the gist of the, the the story yep i had this one at number nine i thought it was a really great um great looking film mm-hmm. nice sets. Um, I, like, I like the, the station and the, the nice yes. curved hallway and... uh, some great acting especially from the girl in the film well the young woman um and uh yeah some very interesting you know concepts where you have to you know it makes you stop and think and um especially for a film that came out when it did and where it did i think the movie asked some very interesting questions um and uh definitely yeah uh was a was a real find was a really good watch through this show yes very ethereal as a film it's, it's very yes. it's you know it was made kind of as the antithesis to 2001 uh tarkovsky who made it he felt that that was too devoid of emotion so he made the emotional version which was all about humans and emotion versus like the grand you know mankind ideas uh that that kubrick was was exploring so they do actually kind of complement each other in a weird way uh yeah but they're, they're definitely both movies for art house fans though like they're definitely not movies for people who just want star wars and uh or people who don't like the motion picture but would rather watch jj abrams star trek for example like if you if, if that's your opinion you're probably going to hate solaris uh, well there might be a solaris for them maybe the george clooney one is good i have no idea <laughs> i mean it's soderbergh so i don't know i yeah. I, I imagine that movie's just a a dollar version of the original. Well, okay. That's my guess. I really like Steven Soderbergh films, so. Okay. All right. What's your number? Three? Yeah, you know, I'm looking at my my list of the final three here, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to think because I know you're going to have one on here that I don't. So that means one of these you don't have uh-huh. oh no no you do you do you do okay never mind i think you bumped one of them okay number three is a clockwork orange that is also my number three ah oh, i suspected that's it our, our third uh match that's right very nice uh obviously there's a lot we of films there's a lot the of films we actually trinity. we actually share most of our lists in terms of the actual movies but these are the i mean i say yeah. match i mean like same number so uh yeah clockwork orange kubrick yep hard to hard to fault it um really great performance uh seemingly malcolm mcdowell was born to play this role yep, yep. of uh this future uh, where it is very much a, a a concept of you know nature versus nurture but you know what happens when your future society is you know so hung up on violence um and pornography and great i i think the film is uh 
I mean, it's Kubrick, so it's going to have great music and it's going to be well directed and it's every shot's going to be beautiful. And the premise is? Uh, so a young man who uh, is arrested uh, for rape um, is um, put into a program where he is uh, brainwashed, basically, into not being able to do violence without becoming violently ill himself and is let loose on society as an experiment. Yes. Uh, it's basically a predecessor to the chip that Spike gets in the hit television show, Buffer the Vampires. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, yeah. That's yes. what perfected it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say perfected it, I just said it was a precursor to it. Sure, that, okay. That, that does not imply improvement or downgrade in any way. So, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, yeah, no, this this it's got a very stark style as Kubrick tends to be. The cinematography of just like the way frame shots of actors just standing in rooms, just feeling kind of awkward because it's got that kind of retro future thing where it's a dystopian future, uh, but there's a lot of weird like seventy style, like uh, you know, design and it's like the, like the apartment for example that like uh, the main character's family live in is very seventies. But at the same time, there's these weird, like, futuristic touches, like, the old woman, like, the mother, her hair's, like, randomly purple or something like that, and it's just these little details, um, mm-hmm. or, or other awkward moments where the main character, Alex, is, is sitting on a bed in his underwear with this older man who keeps slapping his knee, and it's really, un- really uncomfortable, and just, it feels like... You know, it's like he's he's really really awful, but there's also an element of like being a product of the society he grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's there's a lot of really really cerebral ideas, and it, and it feels there's a lot of scenes in it that feel comically cerebral, which is a really weird phrase, but they are they're they're kind of over the top. And you know, there's, there's a at one point when he's trying to attack a woman, she's sort of fending him off with a a giant penis statue or maybe he's got the penis statue but so one of them's holding a penis statue so there's there's a, an element of absurdity in a lot mm-hmm. of what the movie's doing despite the fact that it's tackling very extreme and very harsh subjects uh and kubrick just knows how to balance that in a way that i think you know i think most directors or writers if they try to balance those those ideas together it can just fall apart and feels like a mess and it feels like you're being insensitive about certain things but this always feels like it knows exactly what it's doing um yeah so. i don't know if there was a more confident director than stanley kubrick uh at least in terms of the and finished product it's yeah very few come to mind uh very few uh he's a master of his craft after all uh so clockwork orange is uh well mm-hmm. it's bloody good i suppose that's the it's the bollocks or something to use a they say that, right? I'm pretty sure they talk about bollocks at some point in the movie. Probably. Uh, all right, what's your number two? Number two is Star Wars. Okay. Okay. Which you had much higher. Lower? Or lower, yeah. <laughs> Very important distinction, especially <laughs> in this context. It doesn't get much higher than where we are right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so you had that lower on the list. Yes. Um, and part of me was like twirling my mustache uh, going oh how low do I put Star Wars to upset the <laughs> fan boys because uh, I mean I, I enjoyed the original Star Wars it's you know it's a fun adventure movie I, I'm not a big like proponent of the Star Wars greater world or mythology I really don't care about expanding it in any way 
I like after the original trilogy, it really never needed to exist in any other form, and I would have been quite happy. Um, but uh, the original movie is my favorite of the trilogy, and it's my favorite because it is an adventure where the three lead characters who are likable, but more importantly, that they are likable interacting with each other. So it's it's Luke with Han, it's Han with Leia, it's Leia with Luke, and so on and so on, and all, whatever combination I missed. And Chewie. Those characters interacting and bickering and like try to get themselves out of the situation they're in, that is what makes Star Wars to me. That's that's what makes it all work. And, and, and you know, I mean, I don't know if I need to bother given the premise of Star Wars, but uh, Princess Leia has been kidnapped by the evil man Darth Vader, and uh, the droid R two D two is sent out for help, and unknowingly leads Luke Skywalker and Han Solo into a Death Star where she has been held, and they will ultimately try and save her with hijinks and all sorts and also stormtroopers are really bad at hitting things with their laser blasters they're very good at hitting their heads on ceilings though. Uh, so it's hard not to notice that scene once you've once you've noticed that yeah 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 uh obviously a lot of good practical effects uh admittedly is a little bit tainted now because you can't watch the original version you have to watch the the, the touched up well one. as soon as they release those we will do our reviews <laughs> oh is that what we're waiting on before we do star wars i suspect that disney will release them eventually they have to they know that's a money maker because everybody wants it i feel i feel like 2017 was the time to do it because it was the anniversary they might i mean they still had new movies to promote you can you can do it the same years you got i mean that's a good that's a good tie-in though right it's like you know last jedi is coming out and you can get the original trilogy I suspect that there's some sort of clause in their agreement with George Lucas that they can't release them, or at least for a certain amount of time. Until he's he dead. Not, yeah. He, <laughs> that'll be it. That'll be the trigger. Oh, when George how, Lucas dies, we'll how, finally get them. How quickly do they announce it? Like, he, like literally... His... In honor of his death, we are releasing <laughs> it. <laughs> I just love it. Oh, in 4K we, or we, 8K. We are deeply saddened by the passing of George Lucas... But you can now pre-order the original Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> yes. Um, I think, uh, yeah, this is my favorite of, of all the Star Wars films. And, you know, I I sort of agree that you don't... The the original trilogy is, is fine enough. Um, I do really like The Last Jedi a lot. I think uh, that is a worthy successor to the film. Um, and... I think that um, I know we talked about Superman theme, but you know, I, I John Williams I, I think is at his best with Star Wars. I, I think there's too many memorable moments and themes from that or from that score that uh, doesn't elevate every single frame of that film. I mean, obviously and, it's great. I I think it's third. I think Superman's first, then Jurassic Park, and then Star Wars, but. You know. Yeah, Star Wars. I think Star Wars is just next level. Like it is even the the bombastic opening for the crawl. Like it's is so unforgettable, and it just like whoa, we are on a ride. Like we are ready for this adventure, um, and it's it's just too perfect. And I I know there's a lot of you know help that George Lucas had to make this movie a masterpiece, but he he made a masterpiece and he just made one but that's, that's one okay. way of putting that one could also say he had a lot of help rescuing it in the edit room because he didn't well, know what he was doing <laughs> all the people involved i praise thee because this is uh, a masterpiece i i love the the world and i i do enjoy the sequels and the prequels and 
the added stuff to it because I do like that world. The prequels. Well, I mean, there's a lot of hate about those, but there's some stuff in there that I like. Um, I haven't explored the TV shows, but I do. I, I have read some of the like books and stuff, and I love going to Black Spire Outpost and Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Star Wars, love it. Number two. Star Wars, very good, but I, I would say maybe for me partially overrated, but I think more so for me it's just they've made me sick of Star Wars as, as a thing. Like the brand of Star Wars is tainted to me because I'm just sick of it existing and people taking it into high of a pedestal, but you know. Yeah, but like you say that about Terminator and... And alien and and stuff like that. Well, I mean, you could, right? You could say that. I mean, I know you've said that you would never trust another Terminator movie that came out. Oh yeah, but but, uh, there being too many. No, sure, but like, no, the the part about it being too high of a pedestal by people—that's not true about those at all. Like, that—that is—that is is a complaint I hold purely for. Well, actually, a lot of the rings too. A lot of the rings can kiss my ass. But uh, Star, Star Wars, like the pedestal that people put Star Wars on. Uh, has made me this bitter JD asshole about it because I just like I just like I don't care. Well, that I, sounds like a personal problem. I don't care about your lame Jedi, uh, like Council and the Republic and all these stupid ass things. I don't care. Well, fine. I, I mean, I think it is a really brilliant world, especially for or I mean, universe. I guess in this case, um. And I, I think that the, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a storyline that works, you know, the whole hero's journey and Joseph Campbell stuff, but it still, like, it still works. And it, it works because, you know, we love these characters and it works because the worlds that they create are very unique and awesome. And, you know, the, the, that, that lived in future feel is like, it does feel very old, but also very new at the same time. I think and I do think it was lightning in a bottle. Mm. It's hard to catch lightning in a bottle a second time. Which is why I use that phrase. <laughs> yeah, but the point I'm making is, is that they've, they've got they've, they've got like a whole shelf of bottles now that they keep trying <laughs> keep trying to fill with lightning, and they're getting like little sparks at best. Uh, <laughs> yeah oh, well i mean it's a it's a multi-generational like property like people love it uh when they're children they love it when they're adults and there's a lot of money to be made off of star wars yes i haven't it's still better than harry potter <laughs> i mean sure i don't like harry potter so that's fair i'm not gonna argue um yeah but i, I mean i've not i mean i've not watched even the original trilogy in a long time now like i well, we'll watch him. I, I like the last Star Wars movie I watched was probably Rise of Skywalker <laughs> in theaters and mm-hmm. laughed at it because it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So that was number two for you. Absurdly high. <laughs> May I add? Uh, number two for me is Stalker. Uh, this is a film from Andrew Tarkovsky, the same director as Solaris that i discovered well i mean i knew about it for a while but like i watched it for the first time maybe like four years ago and fell in love it's rare that a movie can quickly rank as highly as this one did but much like solaris is a very philosophical science fiction film it is 
uh it, well it was it was heavily inspirational to annihilation which actually hurt annihilation for me when i watched it because it was like six months after i watched stalker for the first time and i was like okay this is neat and all but like you're doing stalker but not as good <laughs> but stalker is about the zone it is basically something landed from outer space and it made the zone and people believe that at the center of this zone there is a room which can grant a wish and a stalker in this universe is someone who sneaks people into the zone and sort of like gets them to the room like that's kind of like the, what, the, what they get paid for and it's all illegal uh, the military kind of surround the zone and uh don't want anyone to go inside it uh, it's, it's supposed to be off limits and it's <sighs> there's a lot of philosophical talk uh back when i talk, talked about this movie the first time i saw it like there, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the, what the three main characters represented and their different ideologies and how they even represented different parts of the brain and like there's just there's a lot of good analysis about what this movie is and saying and how the the zone itself is actually an allegory for something like a a nuclear power plant where something's went wrong and how like the government wouldn't tell you what's going on they would just set up a military like perimeter and let, let anyone in so there's kind of like some of that going on obviously it's pre-chernobyl this movie came out before that because it's the 70s but um there was incidents you know that had to be taken seriously before that and this is kind of like harking into that a little bit if anything the, the existence or, or the the happening of chernobyl after the fact just kind of made this a lot more like poignant in some ways and in terms of those themes because it was like okay now now we there's like a very specific one that we all remember and is more common knowledge uh but this is a, a movie where the characters like react to nothing this is a movie where they talk about paths being dangerous and they talk about you can't go over there because you'll get lost but they're just standing in like a crappy looking like bit of garden or something and it's all completely theoretical like the characters believe it so you believe it but it's all it's all, it, but it all feels imaginary that's the beautiful thing about it is that he talks about how dangerous it is and how they can't have they can't go over there they can't go over there you have to go this way you have to do it this way you have to we have to go through this section and it's dangerous for this reason and all of it is just completely unseen it just looks like normal locations and the fact that the character takes it this seriously and you kind of let yourself think about it that way it makes the idea of this zone ethereal because annihilation what annihilation does is annihilation actually does try and make it look fantastical and gives you all these effects and gives you all this stuff that's going on and a really great bear and a really great bear uh stalker does none of that stalker stalker does nothing to create a visual difference uh, outside of uh, uh, the simple trick with the, the film, uh, before they go into the zone, it's got like the sepia tone, and it's like uh, it just looks, you know, kind of washed out and yellowy and all that, whatever. And then as soon as they go into the zone, it switches to normal color, and so you get this sense of oh, we've been into a different place. It's where, like Wizard of Oz. It kind of, it's a little bit like that. Uh, really well done, and I, I think it's. It, it, it was so full of ideas and got, you know, when me and Connor talked about it back in the day, the conversation was so in-depth with so many things to talk about and just some fun things that the, the, the story kind of sets up and the ending and the choices that are made and what the characters learn about themselves on this journey. Uh, 
it's really good. Now, you have to be in the mood. It's like a three-hour movie, give or take, and it's a lot of characters talking and being philosophical. So much like Solaris, like you, 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 don't, you don't go in expecting an action movie or an adventure movie. It's not that. But if you get swept away with the ideas, it's basically perfect at what it's doing. Uh, and it, it's kind of unique, and I think maybe that's part of it, is that it's so good at what it is, but it's also like nothing else I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that, you know, seeing Solaris again, it's like, okay, yeah, like I can tell they're, they're both Tarkovsky films. I imagine that this kind of feeling will, will translate to his other films, even the ones that aren't sci-fi. But, yeah. Uh, it's a very rich, dense film that I recommend highly. Uh, and, it's, you know, it's got a Criterion Collection release, and it's exactly the sort of movie that feels like it belongs in the Criterion Collection. Uh, so take that however you will. Uh, so... Yes, Stalker. Masterpiece. Very cool. I know it's based off of a book that I've had on my reading list for a little while called Roadside Picnic. And, um, which Solaris was was also written, like, what was a book before, too. So, yeah, apparently he's quite good at adaptations. Mm. Yeah. Which leads us uh, to your number one, which I've got a funny suspicion that it might be the same as my number one. It may be our fourth matching entry. I mean, there was no doubt for me. Alien is number one. Yeah, I mean, there was no real doubt for me either. I mean, it's Alien. <laughs> uh, alien. Like, pe- people often say this about Star Wars and talk about Star Wars, like, creating this vision of a science fiction world that... Yeah, I feel like we just had that conversation. We, we kind of did, yeah. You brought that up. But for me, Alien is... It's truer for Alien than it is for Star Wars, right? And don't get me wrong, a- Alien only exists because Star Wars made money, and all of a sudden all the studios wanted to make science fiction movies, because, like, they, they saw... And serious ones, too, yeah. not, like, uh, campy ones. Yeah, and they saw cash. They saw cash, at, you know, potential. And you had Ridley Scott, who, you know, heard the concept, read the script, and started storyboarding it, and, like, tried to come up with this visual spectacle. And it is. Like, Alien is one of the best-looking movies ever made. That ship looks phenomenal. Agreed. The Alien ship looks phenomenal. I uh, love how much condensation there is. There's dripping everywhere. It's wet. It's greasy. It's it's industrial. Industrial. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're they're just truckers in space. They're just hauling oil or something like that uh, to back to Earth, and something get, very explosive. And, and what's really cool about it is to get this. Uh, they just get this call to go check out a distress beacon, and there's a lot of like hints about the overall world and the company that they work for based on like just things that are brought up in the movie but it's all set on this ship with these characters it's all set with them and it's just you know it's kind of a slasher movie with them being picked off one by one and you've got the iconic alien design which is so unique because hr giger is like this you know pervert <laughs> and i say that lovingly but he's this pervert well, that's the thing though like he he understands like what the human eye and brain are are drawn to like even if it's it's subconscious we're just like i like this and i don't know why (laughs) you know Mm. or like i'm both it's both beautiful and disgusting at the same time you know like it's there's something very violating about it but Mm -hmm. also like you won't you like you have to see what's there (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean the movie is gorgeous the cinematography as well as the set design and all those like, yeah. elements the creatures directing, yeah. the creatures are iconic and unique 
and that goes for both the, the main alien but also the xenomorph uh, also the face hugger and like mm-hmm. the, even the eggs the alien ship everything about it looks and sounds wonderful the sound design's exceptional like all the technical qualities are like what you expect from the best of ridley scott when he's at his best because you know there's a lot of times when he's not at his best <laughs> and you know that, that's a discussion that for another day uh i mean i would say if you if you only critique it you would say that the characters aren't they're, they're, the characters are secondary to everything else like they, they they're, they're, they're fine and they, but they're, they're also unique like you you know you remember them all you remember you remember most of them i mean they, they work in the context of the movie this this is one of the things that i think aliens improves on like aliens has better characters and even ripley herself is better in aliens than she is an alien she has more of a character she's fleshed out the, f- the fact that Ripley and Alien was written as a man and it just switched to Sigourney Weaver at some you know at some point they made the call to make the switch like they didn't really change anything <laughs> in the script I mean it doesn't seem like it anyway maybe that one moment where Ash has been a little phallic uh, with her with the magazine yeah that's like maybe the one moment I can think of where it matters that she's a woman yeah well, I think it also matters in just the themes of the film of uh, being, you know, violated in this way where all of a sudden mm-hmm. there is something growing inside of you now. Oh, well, and, I mean, maybe that's why the choice was made. Maybe that was the, the reason. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, implications of like uh, childbirth and the terror of the possibility of, you know, carrying something inside you that is bad and that you don't want or that is might be you know your demise one day (laughs) and uh, also like this is more is i think this is actually a very feminist film and i'm not just saying that because sigourney weaver is a you know an awesome character who is um you know her like respected and she's not written in a typical way that women are especially in sci-fi films and uh there is a gratuitous scene with her and her you know, very small panties. But for the most part, yeah, you could see how this could have been played by any gender. So, uh, but yeah, I think this is very much like man's fear of childbirth. Joe, you know what's so funny about it though is I don't disagree, but I don't think that like, that's not in the original script. The original, I mean, the original script has a bunch of stupid space dialogue. It's really cheesy. Like, there's a lot of things, right? I think what's so fascinating about this conversation about talking about what Alien is as its end product is that so much of it comes just from the individual elements that were created that came together. Like, this idea of talking about life cycles and fears of childbirth, yeah, you had the chestburster in the script, but all that design that Giger did, like, he adds to that. Like, all, all, all mm-hmm. the vaginas they're walking through on the ship, and, like, the, the idea of, like, the face hugger and, like, all of the elements kind of build up like i i think i because i kind of agree ultimately that there is this like this feminine vibe to the film because it is so much about reproduction and on you know kind of forced reproduction like you know truly alien reproduction which is kind of why the title's perfect beyond just the fact that it's about an alien monster mm-hmm. uh is that I, I think a lot of this is something that came through the collaboration and the making of all the various elements by the end it just works so well. Yeah. I, the point I'm making is, though, is that I do not think that original script had the goal or even the result of, like, oh, this is the theme of this film is, is reproduction. And, the, like, I think they wrote a monster movie that was cheesy and had one cool idea, which was the chestbuster. And then all the talented people who made Alien turned it into this film that's so reserved and uses these elements that we can then look at it and say, oh, like it does have this theme now that runs through it yeah. and, and it's design and it's... i mean everything looks is based off of like sexual organs yeah. and there's 
the element of the first person that, um, you know, is impregnated is a man, you know, done through this very unconventional way, this very alien way. Like, I mean, men being impregnated is not a thing that happens, but like, you know, through this sci-fi way, it does happen. And yeah, because, you know, the thing bursting out of you and then, you know, growing up to become an asshole that everyone hates uh, <laughs> is also a fear, I suppose. Yeah, so much of what you're talking about is not like, I mean, the chestbuster's in the script. That's the one thing that was there. That's that's yeah. the reason why people thought it should be made was the chestbuster. But mm-hmm. everything else you talked about, you know, you talked about like all the designs and stuff. That's not stuff that was there originally. That was stuff that was designed and like built around the idea that so so you know aliens kind of this ultimate movie is an example of like the central idea the script was just kind of simple and basic and it it was actually the treating it seriously from every like avenue involved which was the design of the monsters the the creatures the ships all that stuff like so much of that is what adds to the themes i don't think there's anything in the characters themselves that adds to the themes we're talking about here they're all there through the actions or the the plot or through the design um it's not like ripley has some sort of moment where she says something or goes on that has a monologue that ties into any of these themes um you know no just the thing we talked about with uh with ash yeah well yeah that that was the one moment right but Mm -hmm. that's it that's the only thing uh really and like I, I don't know like is that in the script where he tries to shove the magazine in her mouth is that something that was like a, almost like an ad lib <laughs> like on set yeah i don't know improvised who knows? yeah um i mean you have the computer being called mother i wonder like is that an intentional link to the reproduction ideas of the movie or is that something that was just happenstance in the script or is that something that they changed at some point because they said hey this can tie into the themes of of the film like sure i don't know but well, she's also, I mean, I say she, but like the mother's also taking care of them while they're being incubated in mm-hmm. a sense while they travel. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never read the original Alien script, but from the sounds of it, when I hear about it in like the big making of documentary and stuff is that it's, you know, it's just this goofy sci-fi movie with people, like people have got like space names, like, like, you know, I can't even remember one, but they've, they've got silly names because they're, they're, they sound futuristic, right? And stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um... And so, 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 so much of the, these ideas, I think, are are born through the process of making the movie. And I think that's why you, you, what, the reason why that works in the aliens case, where, whereas other movies you absolutely have to have a tight script and all those tight ideas to begin mm-hmm. with, and a lot of the best movies have those tight ideas from the script level, is because it is so simple. It's as a monster on a ship, and it's killing people one by one, and that gives the creators a lot of freedom to kind of like make it theirs through all the other elements through the way they show this through the way they portray the characters through the way they portray uh, the visuals and everything else like all the quality of alien is everything else elevating what is just a monster's killing people one by one and yep that's why it's kind of beautiful because it is so simple in its essence but it's given this this treatment this quality treatment by basically everyone involved there's not really a weak link as far as like you know any technical qualities any performances anything like that i agree i wonder if i make the childbirth association so quickly because i i you know grew up with this movie and i also remember my mother being pregnant with my sister 
and comparing it to having something <laughs> inside her like an alien and like how is it going to come out because <laughs> i didn't know how things worked <laughs> so i think maybe I, from an early age i've sort of always made that connection yeah um so you know and obviously like you know we've reviewed alien we talked about it at length uh same with aliens in fact next alien day it'll April. be it'll be time for alien 3 so uh look forward to that but uh alien's a seminal science fiction film and is for my taste the most influential science fiction film and what i mean by that is like for all the type of sci-fi that i like for the type of sci-fi design that i like for a lot of the filmmakers who make science fiction films that I love, most of them tend to be inspired by Alien. <laughs> they tend to be inspired uh, by Alien or Aliens and so on and so on. Uh, maybe I mean, I'm sure they're all inspired by Star Wars too, but like certainly the avenue that I tend to prefer tends to like trace back to Alien more than Star Wars. Because Star Wars is more fantasy. You know, like Star Wars, uh, like there's a lot of tropes in that you can. Link I think into. Star Wars is harder to get right because it is it's got that fantastical side of things, which can be kind of hokey if you don't do it right. Yeah. Uh. So, and I'm not a fantasy guy. I'm, I'm just not. So that, that just inherently does things about Star Wars that I just don't like as much. Uh. We're already done talking about Star Wars. I know. I'm just you know, but I'm saying the aliens like the perfect like everything to me about alien the industrial field to it the, the evil corporation behind it and them been up to no good and uh and that's all just hinted at in the first film it's, it's but you can kind of world build it by just these small suggestions and moments and like the one thing that ash has been told to do obviously aliens expands on it and gives you more and like uh, you know and that's why aliens is like the best sequel of all time because it, it expands on alien in just such a smart way but as well as everything else it does work so uh-huh yes like, so. you need to stretch because you went so long on alien <laughs> well because alien is fantastic and i uh it deserves this time in the spotlight uh to i think we spent an hour on the last four <laughs> i'll find it and i didn't i, I don't uh recall <laughs> I might be being hyperbolic there but <laughs> uh, maybe a touch i think maybe a touch hyperbolic uh, I, i'm not like, i don't think i've had done it in the past but i think i might want to pause for the thumbnail on this one so uh i'm going to ask tara to to do so so i, I have no idea what, what you do for this but uh generic smelly happy po i don't know three two one pause there you go that was i've got a question <laughs> <laughs> i've got a question for people uh so yeah, uh, you can let us know what your favorite sci-fi movies of the seventies are. Obviously, there's some that uh, uh, I, you know, one of us haven't seen yet, or both of us haven't seen yet. That I'm sure we'll get to in the future. Uh, there's maybe some that you think we we've glossed over or didn't like. I mean, or whatever. I mean, maybe you know. Um, I was kind of half expecting you to have the Omega Man on there somewhere, and I'm I'm okay that you didn't, but I was half expecting it. I was thinking of Terminal Man, maybe. Oh, man. Yeah, but that doctor seemed just <sighs> <laughs> yeah i never really considered terminal Man. like terminal Man again good ideas but i i, I just didn't quite get there um yeah so and I, I i really wanted to put phantasm on but i think we decided that was too much of a horror film well it's not it's too much of a horror film it's just it's not enough of a sci-fi movie yeah like i mean aliens well, are horror i mean if, if 
if From Beyond is a sci-fi film, then, yeah, I mean, Phantasm could be also. I disagree. I don't think so. I don't think Phantasm is a sci-fi movie. Okay. Right. You say we decide this, you said is Phantasm cut, and I just said no. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's like, true. That, that was the conversation. I'm like, no. <laughs> well, it would have made my list. <laughs> well, yeah, it's an excellent film, but it's not sci-fi. There's <laughs> like one small sci-fi element. Uh, one small, tiny uh, sci-fi element. Which makes it sci-fi. No, 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 no. Uh, so, yes, uh, that is the top 20 sci-fi movies of the 70s. Um, I don't know when we'll be doing one of these next, uh, and it'll probably be in a decade, I imagine. We might even like, focus some of our, our picks for reviews and lead up to another list um, to flesh out well, it'll be the 80s, 90s, 2000s. We already did the 2010s. We did the 2010s at the end of 2019 because it just made sense. Uh, and that was a nice big healthy to- top 25. So you can go check out that if you want. Yeah. If you guys have ideas for a list that you really want us to see, maybe a decade, maybe something else. A subgenre is, is a, a, the other thing. You know, we've done time travel in the past. Although I do those solo top 10s now. So maybe maybe that's replaced the idea of us doing top 10s of like subgenres. But. I'll take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you to... Let me scroll up. <laughs> thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Christopher Moy, and David Brown. Uh, that's one of the higher tiers of Patreon. You can be a producer, but you can be a producer at a lower tier, can't you, Tara? That's right, Peter. If you enjoy our reviews, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. If you donate as little as $1 per month, you will get access to bonus movies for the ace that's where we keep our our really fun b movies uh, over there behind the paywall of one dollar and if you donate five dollars per month you'll get to vote on what we watch once a month and you'll get access to our reviews one day early thank you yeah uh otherwise so you can like subscribe ding the bell for notifications do all that stuff uh, it helps out on youtube uh, rate the audio podcast version five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. And that is pretty much it. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa.